Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to the History Hit World Wars podcast. If it's your first time here, we are dedicated to that turbulent period in history between 1914 and 1945. I'm your host, James Rogers, and over the last few weeks we've been really trying to put the world back into the World Wars, and this episode is no different. Because in the darkest hours of World War II, thousands of people from Burma, now Myanmar, gave their lives fighting a brutal war for Britain against the Japanese. During Japanese occupation of Burma, the Burmese carried out ferocious, brave and ultimately successful guerrilla campaigns. But after Allied victory, after the Second World War, the country sank into isolation, dictatorship and civil war. And Britain largely forgot about the bravery of those who had fought on their side. But now, only a handful of veterans remain. And the question is, will they, can they, get the recognition and support they deserve? One determined band of Brits is in a race against time to make sure it happens. And it's here that Dan was joined by filmmaker Alex Bezcombe to talk about his film, Forgotten Allies, The Search for Burma's War Heroes. Hey Alex, good to have you back in the podcast. Talked about this new film. It looks beautiful. No, so thank you very much for um, having me back on. And yes, and thanks for letting me plug it on the last time I was on the podcast. That's really grateful. It's taken three years, I think, to get this from start to finish. Uh, it's been a real passion project. And can't wait to release it um, on June the 12th at the National Army Museum in London. But we can talk about that later. The motivation behind this is... Uh, continuation of the work I was doing in We Were Kings, the last film I made in Burma, uh, where I was trying to study British history uh, from a very different perspective. So all my work, all my historical work has been in Burma. And I wanted to understand these stories, these British stories that we've been hearing about uh, from a Burmese perspective. And the first film obviously was about um, the colonial experience and the royal family. Um, Spent many years making that. But this one was about another chapter in Burma and Britain's shared history, which is World War II. Hugely traumatic experience, obviously, for the world and for Britain, but hugely traumatic for Burma. And in many ways, that uh, the war there is still being played out. So I wanted to explore that. And the way I wanted to do that was through the stories of the men who from Burma who decided to fight for Britain in World War II. And it's a story about sort of thousands of individual decisions that were made by people from a faraway land to risk their lives and in some cases die 
for another king in another country. And I was just fascinated by, by those decisions. So that's why Forgotten Allies was born. What was the situation in Burma? Why were these men called on to fight? So you got the Japanese invading Burma in the beginning of 1942. What happens next? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, Britain wasn't really expecting um, the Japanese to invade Burma in early 1942. Um, the, the fall of Singapore, which came just before, was a massive surprise to everybody. I think Churchill calls it the sort of darkest moment in, in Britain's imperial history. Um, the speed with which uh, the Japanese forces moved through Southeast Asia, uh, through Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand and into Burma, it, it took... Um, it certainly took the powers that be in Britain by surprise. You know, Britain was really focused on the war in Europe, in North Africa, and I guess the war in in East Asia was very, very secondary in terms of uh, in terms of focus. And nobody really expected them to do it then or to do it so quickly and so easily. I mean, Burma was ringed by sort of what they thought was impenetrable forests. It wasn't easy to move to move troops quickly through it. And um, when the Japanese did arrive in Burma in, in 1942, it was an enormous surprise. And the, the story of, of sort of Jap- the, uh, the Japanese arrival in Burma is one of kind of humiliating retreat for Britain. It's a really, really low moment in, in Britain's sort of national story where the, um, the sort of military civilian leadership uh, quickly backtrack out of Burma and, and um, thousands of troops are, um, the British troops are forced to walk out of Burma from Rangoon. It's a thousand mile march through the country. And they're followed by many, many civilians, uh, many Indian civilians who'd moved to Burma during the sort of 100 year occupation of of Burma. And um, they were forced to walk out. Uh, Many of them died on the way. And the Japanese really swept up so quickly uh, through Burma and would end up occupying it for three years. Now, um, the sort of Burman majority and the leadership uh, many of them sort of welcomed the Japanese arrival. They saw it as this sort of Asian brotherhood. Uh, the, you know, the, the imperial uh, British masters were gone. There were promises of independence. And the, uh, they, were, they were welcomed at first, um, certainly in the sort of lowland areas. Um, that would change when I think they realised the Japanese were just as bad, if not worse, than the British. But in the, in the areas around the edge, I mean... Many might know about Burma. It has this incredible ethnic diversity. Um, but in terms of the, the horseshoe around the edge of the country, it contains many, many ethnic minorities like the Chin, the Kachin, the Karen, um, who would all make very different decisions when it came to which side to choose in this battle of empires between the Japanese Empire and the British Empire. And I said many sort of thousands of men and boys, many younger than 18, from the Chin Hills, from the Karen Hills, uh, in the Kachin states, they would decide to stick with Britain. Um, and that decision is one, you know, that I wanted to sort of dig into in this film. Well, let's dig into that right now. Why did they? Why did they choose one imperial power, one occupying power over another? Well, that's, that's what got me, because I think as soon as you start getting into the, um, the Burma campaign, there's, there's the famous Kahima epitaph which you might know, you might not know, but it's, you know, when you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we gave our today, which I think, you know, in the fields of, of Flanders or, you know, in, in, on the beaches of Normandy, I think that, that sort of decision to sacrifice yourself for, for king and country 
makes sense. You know, we've got D-Day coming up and everyone will be going over there. We'll be marking those sacrifices that those guys made, um, you know, back in, uh, in the 1940s. Now, what drives, uh, uh, you know, a, a young man from the Chin Hills who sort of 60 years previously, um, the country had been sort of invaded and occupied by, by Britain and turned into a colony. And many of those um, societies were disrupted. They were put into sort of new tributary relationships with, with Queen Victoria, not King Thibor and King Mindon of Burma. Um, their whole world was turned upside down. And then sort of 60, 60 years later, they're deciding to sort of lay down their lives. And I think, you know, really lovely moments where they, you know, you go and see a veteran in Kiar and they sing the national anthem. And it's, it's really quite moving. And there is that sense of loyalty which which came out which I hadn't expected. They were obviously, you know, very 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 sort of I mean, I tried to put myself in their shoes. These guys, you know, they're young men and they were doing it for various reasons. One is that they might get paid or they would get paid. It was a good way to make a living in places that were pretty economically depressed. It was a sense of power and a sense of dignity and a sense of adventure. All those reasons are complex reasons why a young British man might choose to join the army, not just kind of a sort of looking up at the smiling face of, of, of King George VI at the time and deciding this is the guy I want to die for, um, but very complex reasons which go into identity and economics. But also, you know, what also fascinates me is that I think when we look back, you know, we see the World War II as, uh, this might sound very silly, sort of historically speaking, we see World War II as this kind of neat five-year window. But when these guys were signing up to fight against the Japanese in the jungles of Burma, which was the worst uh, fighting you could probably be involved in in World War II, you know, they didn't know how long this was going to last. They didn't know the Japanese were going to win. They didn't know how they would be... Well, they didn't know how they would be treated if they were caught. They'd be treated very poorly. Um, but they, it was sort of a, a decision that they didn't know how long it would affect their lives. And for many of them, you know... I think a final point on this is that they fought in this war. They fought in what we call World War II. Many of them call it the Japan War because, frankly, since then, uh, many of these guys went on to fight in uh, independence and autonomy struggles inside Burma. And they would carry on fighting all the way up to the present day. In Karen State, we have um, a sort of civil war, so to speak, which has been going on since the Second World War. And so, you know, it's, they took up arms uh, to, to fight for, for our king and our country and, and they, they carried on fighting ever since. So it was very complicated, but I mean, very moving to meet these guys and, um, and, and talk about their experience. They talk about it in the same way that many, many sort of older veterans in the UK do with a sense of excitement uh, and, and sadness. So lots of things, so Alex, I guess lots of things drive people to fight. You've got the money. Uh, excitement, compulsion. Uh, but do you think some people made an ideological, uh, a kind of a political decision to fight for Emperor George VI over the Japanese emperor? I mean, ideology, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Um, I'm not sure how ideological it was. I think for perhaps a young, educated, um, you know, urban uh, citizen of Rangoon, those that had benefited from the schooling systems or the universities um, that were sort of developed, they were very, very sort of prestigious schools and universities that were coming up in Yangon. Some of them, I think they made a conscious decision that, you know, they were going to be sort of occupied by one power or another 
and they wanted to to they chose one side i mean you know two two people come to mind uh ukati luin you know very much a sort of passionate lover of the royal navy and everything and all its traditions from rum drinking um you know to the discipline to the uniforms i think he he you know made a conscious choice david daniel um you know 93 year old veteran who was one of those that walked out of Burma and he his father or his grandfather had fought um in the campaign to annex Burma he his grandfather was british but he was anglo-burmese and then um his his father had fought in palestine so even though he was sort of identified as burmese he really really um identified also as a proud member sort of a multi-generational member of the british army but in i guess in more rural areas um you know where I think there wasn't much time for discussion of, of, of ideology. I think there was a sort of tributary system. You knew there was a sort of district commissioner who sat in a bungalow nearby, but largely life went on. And, you know, they were told that the war was coming. Uh, they were given guns. How much they actually knew of the bigger picture of the struggle, I don't know. But I think they were told that, you know, defend your village, defend your local area, because if you don't back us, it'll be a lot worse for the people who come next. Um, so I think it was a much more immediate decision, uh, you know, in those sort of in those hilltop areas, those remote areas. In these in these tribal areas that you're talking about, the fairly hierarchical societies, did they actually have any choice? I mean, that's a really good question, um, because, you know, when we're speaking to um, some veterans, you know, and we're traveling around this this wonderful team called Help for Forgotten Allies, who really are sort of our subjects of the film and helping us helping us track them down. But I remember sitting with the Help Forgotten Allies team in, in Chin State, speaking to a guy called Liao Chan. And as much as he was sort of glad for what he did, um, I think, and proud of what he did, you get the sense when he talks about his signing up experience that, yeah, there wasn't much choice. I think he, the chief told him to go with five of his friends, with one uh, sort of Victorian rifle between them, a hunting rifle they used for tigers and bears, and he was told to go out into the jungles and report on Japanese troop movements. And, you know, how much was he told about the biggest struggle, about, you know, um, what the emperor was doing or what the British military strategy was doing? Or was he just told to go in there uh, because the chief said so? And I think there's a certain amount of that. Um, you know, whether you would call it compulsion or whether you call it just, you know, they, he sort of did as he told because that's what that's kind of the chief's role in, in that society. Um, but it's complex. And also when you're going around and speaking to these guys in their, in their early 90s, I mean, I can't really remember what I was doing last week, you know, to ask them to sort of reflect philosophically on a decision they made 75 years ago. Some of them really surprised me. They, they, they can do. Some of them, you know, it's sort of a, yeah, I remember doing it. It was pretty awful. Uh, but I'm glad I survived. Many didn't. And I'm, I'm proud that I chose the right side. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's it's complex. I know there's there's a lot of work being done in Africa, for example, with other Commonwealth veterans about you know unpicking this sense of of at the, the micro level why these individual guys decided to do it. And I, I don't think you can ever say it was one thing or the other. I think rather like any you know any any soldier volunteering now, it's a complex uh, mix of of family ties, compulsion. Uh, economic reasons and, and a bit of an adventure. Hold up. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So the British attempt to get back into Burma a few times, not successfully really until 1945. So what are these irregular forces doing between 1942 and 1945? Well, that's a great question because I think, and you know, sort of commissioning editors out there who might be listening, you could do a kind of eight-part series on the World War II in Burma. And I know you said, you know, our mutual mate James Holland, I know, would be would love to get stuck into that as well. It's an absolutely mind-bogglingly complex story. And there's this, there's this, there's, there is this sort of easy sweep where the British move out and then they come back in in 1945 after defeating the uh, the Japanese at Kohima and Imphal, which was sort of, it was going on right now, 75 years ago. Um, but what was going on for those three years that the Japanese were occupying Burma? I mean, in the sort of, in the urban areas, in the sort of Burman lowland regions, there was a sense that they were creating puppet governments. They were trying to sort of win over, they do a hearts and minds operation, um, you know, sort of with particularly in the lowland and urban areas, you know, trying to win over the Burman population as as the British had sort of tried to do eventually and get, you know, get them on side. Um, but there was sort of three different stories really going on. One in the Chin Hills, you know, you had these amazing people from from the uh, from the Chin peoples, from the Naga peoples who were doing all sorts of reconnaissance to prepare for the British re-entry into Burma. So Slim, the great tactician, his plans just, they wouldn't have worked without really knowing where the Japanese were. Um, you know, they were sort of camping out and fortifying themselves. You know, that, that intelligence was invaluable. In, over on the eastern side, on the, um, on the Thai border, you had um, towards the, in, in 1944, you had, you know, the beginnings of Operation Character and you had British special forces being parachuted in uh, to the Karen and Kiyar Hills to instigate a rebellion amongst the Karen people, and thousands of them signed up to fight and and um, and fight a really brutal jungle war against the Japanese. Sort of, you know, guided by a f- very few handful of British special forces officers. There's an amazing book by Richard Duckett um, uh, about the SOE operations in Burma, where he goes into great detail about this, or, or Philip Davis as well. Um, 
you know, there was active insurgency and lots of people um, laying down their lives to push the Japanese back out. But then <clears throat> across the country, throughout that three-year period, we also had, you know, the special operations executive operating in Burma, um, where we had all sorts of skullduggery and spy work going on, where, you know, people from all different um, of uh, ethnic groups in Burma. And there's often this idea that so the Burmese, the Burmans sided with the Japanese and the, and the ethnic minorities sided with the British. It's not true. Um, there's a lot more grey areas, lots of people making different decisions to support one side or another. So the people of Burma were, were pulled into this war that wasn't really theirs, but was being fought by two great empires on their, on their soil. There's a really powerful sense in your documentary that, that uh, the fighting hasn't really ever stopped for many of these groups. Why is that? Well, I mean, that's sort of been the heart of all my, my filmmaking work in Burma is sort of wither Burma. Why is Burma still this kind of divided, militarised society in which trying to find unity and diversity is a, a constant and, and bloody struggle? I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful place. It's been my home for much of the last 10 years. But this question of how to unite uh, a country which has you know hundreds of different languages and dozens of different ethnic groups or one hundred and thirty five official uh, different ethnic groups, um, I think the British colonial experience, uh, as I talked about on the last podcast, that sort of the annexation that had ripples that went through history it, it sort of divided the country um, and I think it, it gave a sort of huge dent to national pride, which was then taken up by the Burmese military after uh, after independence in 1948. That was sort of one shockwave. But World War II was the sort of second great shockwave in modern Burmese history. I think it took a lot of those divisions that you uh, saw that had grown up during the, the colonial period, um, which would, you know, would sort of bedevil any country that was trying to, uh, you know, stand on its own two feet. It then... The World War Two. I mean, the Japanese smashed uh, the institutions of of the British colonial society, and then it tried to hurriedly rebuild them in three years. But then they were smashed by the British returning, and then Britain quickly left in 1948. And General Ong San, the father of Ong San Suu Kyi, uh, you know, the current state councillor, he was shot just as he was trying to bring all these people together. And World War Two it weaponized the divisions in Burmese society, which had sort of been set in place by its colonial experience. And it would just fill with guns and animosity different parts of the country. I mean, two flashpoints are still being seen today, for example. In Karen State, we still have it's the world's longest you know, running civil war. Um, those, the Karen, they backed the British in World War II. They were made all sorts of promises um, by sort of the British Secret Service and, and those working there about autonomy or even independence after the war. And then those promises weren't delivered because uh, the British government decided to work with Aung San and try and keep a united Burma together. So there's that sense of grievance that was direct result of World War II is still bubbling now, you know, however many years later. And then in Rakhine State, I think we're all now familiar with Burma again because of the Rohingya crisis. Now, that story goes a lot, lot deeper than World War II. Um, you know, this, this division between a sort of uh, a Muslim north of Rakhine State and a Buddhist south of Rakhine State. But again, that division was weaponized by World War II. Um, uh, in, in many cases, um, Muslims were recruited by the British to do reconnaissance work when we were pushed out of Rakhine State in, 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 in the early 1940s. 
and the southern Rakhine, who are many of them are um, are Buddhist, they very much, in many cases, sided with the with the the Japanese. And there was an awful amount of intercommunal killing in the period where the you know, the rule was uncertain: was it Japanese or was it British? And those grievances they take decades to fade away. And as soon as you get a new conflict, those those wounds are opened again and again and again. And I think, you know, Burma is still fighting the Second World War in some ways, which is deeply sad. And, you know, one of the veterans we film with, Sultan Thane, um, you know, he joined the Karen separatist army straight after the war. And he ended up fighting all the way into his old age. And you know, this great moment in the film where we said, why didn't it stop? And he says, well, when you get a crooked person on one side and a crooked person on the other, they lock together and fighting is inevitable. And what he means by that is that they take these grievances from World War II and people find motive and they find interest, invested interest in continuing the struggle. And that's what we're seeing in Burma. They're taking age-old grievances and finding new reasons and new motivations, whether that be uh, you know, resources, land, pride, to keep fighting the battles of World War II. Thanks so much, buddy. Awesome. Please tell us Please tell us all how people can follow, watch, engage with this new piece of work. Well, that's, no, thank you for that. Um, so on the 12th of June, uh, here in London, we are going to be holding the world premiere of Forgotten Allies at the National Army Museum, uh, evening of Wednesday, the 12th of June. You can buy tickets online now on Eventbrite. Um, what's wonderful about this uh, world premiere is that um, it's bringing together everybody who helped us make this film. Um, we crowdfunded this film, largely from the families of British veterans. And we had support from all sorts of institutions and charities. And the, the stars of our films, Help for Forgotten Allies, the team there, will be there on the night. It's going to be a real um, gathering of all sorts of people who have a, 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 a stake in, that, in the Burma campaign and, and, and not letting people forget it. There's going to be historians there, there's going to be uh, some great charity people there, some great celebrities there. Um, so please do uh, consider buying a ticket and support this story because it wouldn't have been made without literally hundreds of people from all over the world making donations. And you'll get to see it, I think, three months before it comes out on TV in the UK. Uh, so it's coming out in TV, uh, on TV in September. So you'll get to see it three months early and meet the team and meet everybody. So if you are free, Wednesday 12th of June, please come and join us. Thank you, Alex. Good luck. My pleasure, Dan. Good luck. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.